Hello, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the Georgian Triangle region. Thank you so much for listening today. Now, today we're going to be picking back up in our series on the Gospel of Luke, which we have entitled Investigating Jesus. The reason that we chose that title is because of what the author Luke said as he began this gospel. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1, he wrote, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, in case you might have missed the first parts of this series, you need to know that Luke was researching and writing this while the eyewitnesses to the events were still alive and still available. As you see, as you read this gospel, Luke was a stickler for detail. And as he said, he researched carefully. Now, why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, today we'll be looking at the ninth chapter of Luke. Beginning in verse 1, we'll be working through the first nine verses. But I'm going to do this in two parts because I think it better represents the text. The first part I'd like to look at is verses 1 through 6. Now, here's what it says. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now here we find a new phase of Jesus' ministry. Up until now, it is he who has been doing the preaching and the teaching, the healing and the spiritual warfare. Over the past few months, we have highlighted how Jesus was progressively revealing himself to his disciples, this group of ordinary men whom he had called to follow him. They came to him believing that he was something special and perhaps even hoping that he might be the promised Messiah. But over the time that they had traveled with him, They had seen the authority with which he spoke. They saw the miracles which he had performed, healing the sick, the lame, and the blind. They saw him demonstrate his authority over nature by calming the sea. And they had seen him deliver a man who had been possessed and abused by many demons. In the previous chapter, the disciples had witnessed once again that Jesus had the power even to raise the dead. But here in chapter 9, the attention is turned to these 12 men, specifically, whom Jesus had called by name to follow him. These 12 would be the ones to whom Jesus would hand the responsibility of carrying on the work of establishing his church. So I think it's important for us to understand how Jesus went about preparing his disciples for this responsibility. See, in the time of Jesus... Among the Jews, education was more of a total package than it is today. One didn't simply go to school, particularly in what we would call post-secondary education. Teaching was done in a life-related context. 
So while the disciples did go to synagogue and Jesus did actually speak there on occasion, for the most part, his teaching was done as the disciples followed him around. Most of what we read in the Gospels, in fact, would demonstrate that. We see Jesus repeatedly standing to make a public speech, and then he would withdraw with his disciples and he would speak to them about what they had seen and heard. See, Jesus' goal was to reproduce himself in his followers. He did that by exposing them to the way that he lived. In fact, there's a model of delegation that Jesus followed that is still the best model today. We see it throughout his ministry with his disciples. It's very simple. This is Jesus' method of discipleship in a nutshell. First, he did it. Then he did it, and they watched, and then they talked about it. Then they did it, and he watched, and they talked about it. And then they did it, and they talked about it. Now, this is not intended to be a criticism of higher education. I believe in that, and I believe in studying. I love books. But I also believe that there are a lot of lessons in life that you cannot receive from a book. I think that is especially true when we are speaking of learning how to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, which is our goal for each of you. In saying that, let's try to understand what it meant and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, since this term is used throughout the Gospels to describe the Twelve. The first thing to understand is that a disciple is a follower. So you can choose to be a disciple of any number of people or religions or belief systems. Around us, we have disciples of humanism, feminism, Zen, Taoism, Islam, etc. But what we're talking about here is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, when we use the word follower, it is not simply the shallow use of the word as somebody following someone from a distance. The word follower here implies closeness and a commitment to imitate, which leads us to the second part of our definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower, but they're also a learner. Now, this goes along with the Hebrew idea of teaching, and we can all learn something here. You see, for us in the West, we often equate teaching with lecturing or talking. We might think of a university professor in a huge auditorium with a few hundred students as he or she talks. Some students might be busily taking notes, some might be looking at their phones, others might even be taking a nap. It is the teacher's job to teach and the student's job to learn. Well, the word to teach in Hebrew actually means to cause to learn. The teacher takes responsibility to cause the pupil to learn. That's why it required more than simply class time to make a disciple. And that's why Jesus selected his own disciples. There are a number of verses that indicate the success of Jesus' teaching methods. See, remember what we talked about earlier? They had listened to him teach, and then they'd asked clarifying questions. They had watched him as he healed people, and they had talked with him about it afterward. They had seen him perform miracles, and their theology, their belief in God, had been changed. Now here in Luke 9, he sends them out on their own. There were, there were a few key principles that he sent them with that we can pull from these verses. These have proven helpful in Christian ministry for 2,000 years now. The first thing is this, travel light. <laughs> Jesus told them not to take a lot of stuff with them. By the way, they learned this in practice from him, so it shouldn't have come as a big surprise. Jesus didn't have a big bank account. He didn't have 14 suitcases, so he would have everything that he might need just in case. That's our temptation often, isn't it? It's not wrong to be prepared, but sometimes, 
Oftentimes, we can go overboard with that stuff. One of the things that he specifically tells them not to take is a bag. Now, this is significant because it's believed to represent the container that traveling teachers would often take with them to use to beg for money from others to help them. In telling them not to take a bag, he was saying, in effect, you're not beggars. Now, this leads us to the second principle, trust God. See, here's a principle that is absolutely critical if you want to be of any use to God's kingdom whatsoever. You must trust God to take care of you. Here, Jesus was breaking the disciples of their very human tendency towards self-reliance. And again, this was something that Jesus had modeled for them. In Matthew 8, 19 and 20, it says, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now let me clarify something here. This isn't saying that it's wrong for you to have a house and home and job and stability and any of those things. For most people, that is where we are to follow Jesus. But this speaks to a reliance on and trust in God. When God calls us, he doesn't call us with conditions. We don't get to choose what that looks like. We don't get to decide whether our children will grow up down the street from us or whether God will call them to Africa. When Jesus calls us to follow, he calls us to follow wherever he leads us. Now, there is a cost to that. In my own ministry, I've often had to make decisions that other people, even in my own family, have thought to be foolish. I've turned down jobs that paid three times what I was making to go where I knew God was leading me. Others on our staff have done the same. Now, I remember when God called us back into full-time ministry, uh, but in Jacksonville, Florida. And trust me, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. As we were loading up our old Chevy Chevette and getting ready to leave from the old Denbach homestead on Poplar Side Road in Collingwood, I remember watching my dad with my oldest son, Tony. Tony was about four. They were buddies. He would ride on the mower with my dad, and my dad would take him to get his hair cut all the time. But I watched my dad say goodbye to his grandson, kiss him and put him in the car and turn and walk back to the house, wiping the tears from his eyes. That was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. I drove away wiping the tears from my own eyes, not knowing when we would be able to see my family again. And we were off to serve strangers for $18,000 a year. When you are called by God, you go and you trust and you learn the third principle that Jesus taught accept the help of good people. See, they were told to go into a town, find someone who was welcoming, and stay with them until it was time to move to the next town. Now, how crazy is that? See, they'd been told not to stand on a street corner begging, but they were to accept the hospitality of good people. Again, remember who was saying this. Jesus had been traveling with these 12 men, teaching them, modeling for them what it meant to serve as a minister of God. He didn't have a house. He stayed at times with Peter's mother, at times with Lazarus and his family. See, it seems that everywhere he went, there was a place for him. They were to be thankful and accept it graciously. That's what he told his disciples. Before I came to Stainer, I spent a couple of months on the island of Malta, off the coast of Africa, helping to plant a church. One of the families there kindly offered to let me stay with them, but there were five of us in a one-bedroom flat, and two, including two little kids. It wasn't working very well. And on my first Sunday there, I visited a church that was helping us. 
and the pastor introduced me and told the congregation what I was doing. Afterward, a young man came up to me and introduced himself. He was a pilot from Air Canada, or from Canada who flew for Air Malta, and he was returning home for a couple of months and offered me the use of his apartment in the embassy district of Valletta. If God sends you, he provides for you. It's humbling and it's awesome. And you get to see how God provides in the most amazing ways. See, these principles have been used by missionaries and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ ever since. But to see it, you have to park your ego at the door. I hope that you get to see God's provision in your own life as you step out in obedience. See, the disciples had to be willing to learn. My question for you today is whether or not you want to be a learner. I have to admit to you that when I look for people, whether to hire or to develop in lay ministry positions in the church, of all the qualities I look for, a teachable spirit is right up there near the top. So what is a teachable spirit? Well, someone who is teachable must, first of all, admit that they don't know it all. That automatically disqualifies some people because they think they do. See, and here's the thing, you'll never learn what you believe you already know. Peter told us to clothe ourselves with humility. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now the King James Version translates that as, Study to show yourself approved. We don't study to learn something we already know. Someone with a teachable spirit recognizes the need for a growing knowledge of Scripture. You who would be disciples, let's look at a scripture together. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The work of the gospel and the work of the word of God is to change us in order that we may be of use to God. So how did it go with the disciples? Verse 6 tells us, So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And this also leads us to the last three verses that I want to talk about today. In verses 7 through 9 tell us, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Now, a tetrarch was the ruler of a portion of the country. Herod was one of the magistrates that Jesus would appear to before he was crucified. But here he provides some commentary on the effectiveness of the disciples on their journeys. He was the one who had first arrested and then beheaded John the Baptist. Now he was hearing all these rumors about Jesus and his disciples. I love the question that Herod asks in verse 9. Who then is this I hear such things about? This is the whole point of missions and ministry and service to God's kingdom, to point people to him. So many good conversations start with this question or questions like it. See, from what we read, Herod's interest never went beyond curiosity. We read that he treated Jesus with contempt and sent him back to Pilate when he did meet him. The disciples were commissioned here for a specific mission, but later as a lifelong commitment to take the gospel everywhere they went. As the gospel is declared, whether by word or deed, it causes a reaction. People have to decide what they will do with Jesus. 
And you have to decide what you will do with Jesus. See, some will ignore him. They will never pursue his claims. They will assume that what he said and what he did has no relevance to them whatsoever. Some will be curious, but when they don't get the answers that line up with their view of the world, they will ultimately reject him. Some will ask, they will learn, and they will grow. In John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12, he writes this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My prayer is that this would be your response today, that you would at least begin the journey of discovery. Who was Jesus and what does that have to do with you? Great questions. As Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, you came declaring the gospel that all who would receive you, all who were willing to turn from their sin and accept you, would be adopted into your family. My prayer today is for each person who is watching or listening, that they would open their heart to you. May they have the courage to ask and to seek. When they do, I know that they will find a Savior who loves them and who willingly laid down his life so that they could be brought back into a relationship with God the Father. May this be so in Jesus' name. Amen. So live in the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. Thank you so much for listening today. I would encourage you to visit one of our campuses live and in person. We'd love to meet you. God bless you.